All right, welcome again. So glad to be with you. Um, if you have a Bible, please turn to the book of 2 Kings chapter 6. Uh, yes, I am aware that it is Palm Sunday. <laughs> and when I plan out the preaching schedule for the year, I would have sectioned off Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday anticipating doing a message that was a Palm Sunday message. Uh, but as the day grew nearer, uh, there was another message on my heart. And somewhat coupled with that, I know we covered the triumphal entry in the book of Mark in our study through the book of Mark about a month ago. And so there was just something on my heart that I wanted to share with you. And because that window was somewhat open and flexible on the preaching schedule, I want to bring that to you this afternoon. So a little bit of a change of plans here from 2 Kings chapter 6. Um, I don't think you're going to have a text on the screen. I have no notes for you on the screen. It was a little bit of an unusual week for me. Tammy and I just got back from a family life, what's called Weekend to Remember, which is kind of a weekend marriage retreat checkup. Tammy and I have been married for uh, a little over 39 years. This fall will be our 40th uh, wedding anniversary. And yeah. <laughs> It's a miracle. <laughs> we made it. We made it thus far. Um, but I also realize, um, and this came out in this retreat, was very helpful uh, emphasis. Look, you, you're, uh, you are either drifting apart or you're growing together. There is no third option. You're never static uh, in your marriage. And the last few years have brought a unique set of challenges into our lives. And, and I knew and could see this happening. I could see it happening in my own heart, uh, the need for some kind of revitalization uh, in, in our marriage. I, I, I love my wife, but I don't always love her well. And I need to learn and I need to grow and I need God's help. And so I saw this coming. And so I started to look for opportunities. And we had gone to a weekend to remember many, many years ago. Uh, I'm trying to think if any of you joined us. We brought a group of leaders one time. Uh, it may have been 10 years ago, may have been 15 years ago. Uh, one of the things about being married for almost 40 years is you forget a lot of things. So, uh, but we had a good experience, and we went again to be refreshed. And we just got back at, like, it finished at 1230 today down in Anaheim. So I'm like fresh into Pasadena again, ready to go. So glad to be with you, but encouraged in my heart and ready to put some new things into practice to pursue my wife in a fresh way, uh, really to love her as Christ loves the church, which is so easy to drift away from over time. So thank God for his grace. Uh, God is always at work uh, throughout history. He always has been at work. And what's wonderful about what God has been doing throughout history is that he is selected to have certain things written down for our learning. He's like tracked with certain aspects of history and his work. So beyond what's written, he's at work constantly doing all kinds of things. But there are some things that he's had written down so that we could gather together, read it, talk about it, and understand more about who God is. He's done this intentionally to teach us. Basically, to teach us a few things. Who God is. We read about what he's done and how he's acted and how he's responded and what he's done throughout history so we can better understand 
who he is. We also understand better who we are. We find ourselves in those stories often, and we learn so much about ourselves, and we also learn about God's intention to help us, to lead us into living life well in the world that he's created. And that's the challenge that we face, and there's the gospel opportunity that we have. That intention that God has for us to live in the world that he's created is like we could call it joyful worship. Our lives should be like joyful worship. It is intended to be a communion, a fellowship, a connection with God. What God has done is not written down a book, tossed us the book, said, here, read it, figure it out, go to it. Maybe I'll check in with you at some point. Maybe not. See you at the end. I hope you do well with what I've written down. And there it is. The design, the intent is that you and I are, are just walking daily in a communion, in a, in a known relationship with the Lord, interactive, hearing, listening, talking, responding. That's the kind of life that he's called us to. Our text has a specific thing to teach us. Specifically, our text is about our need for spiritual sight and the fact that it comes from the Lord. There's two kinds of sights. So what I'm talking about with spiritual sight, I'm talking about the ability to be able to see things that are unseen, see things of God's kingdom about who he is and what he's doing, things that are, for the most part, hidden to many. So while there's physical sight and there's physical blindness there's also spiritual sight and there's spiritual blindness spiritual blindness is a condition that we've all inherited every one of us was born into this world in a state of spiritual blindness we're just very aware of ourselves from the moment we come out of the womb we are unaware of God and his kingdom, but by his grace, he reveals that to many of us throughout our lives and desires to reveal that to everything. So with the glory of the gospel, we have our spiritual eyes opened, open to see the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you've seen that, if you've caught a glimpse of the glory of God, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that's entrance into his kingdom. That's what makes a person a Christian. I see that in Jesus. I see something of his glory and who he is, the Son of God. I see something in the glory of what he's done, that he gave himself for me, laid down his life, that I might be forgiven, that I might be accepted with God, and that he was raised from the dead, physically raised up out of, out of a dead state in the tomb into a newness of life, telling us that that's the new life that God has for us. The message this morning is designed to formulate a prayer that I hope will land in each of our hearts. So by the time we walk out of this room together, it would be embedded into our soul this prayer, Lord, open my eyes. 
It's the title of the message. It's the prayer that I want to sow into our hearts this morning, that we would have a fresh cry in our hearts to say, Lord, open my eyes. Open my eyes to see you at work. Open my eyes to see what you promised. Even for the person, and many of us in the room are, as we say, saved. You're Christians. You've come into the kingdom. Still, there remains a need for spiritual sight. It's an ongoing lifestyle. And so even if you're here and you're a Christian and your eyes have been opened, we still live with this need and this desire to say, Oh, Lord, open my eyes. There's more to be seen. I was struck some weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago now, reading through 2 Kings chapter 6. I was just doing my normal morning Bible reading, and this chapter jumped off the page and into my soul. And I was struck with the fact that spiritual sight is a matter of life and death. Spiritual sight is a matter of life and death, whether we see, whether we don't determines whether we live or whether we die. Also, that spiritual sight is a supernatural work of God that we live dependent upon. God gives it. God opens the eyes of the blind. God gives spiritual sight. Like I said, he didn't just toss us a book and say, I hope you get it. I hope you see it. To gain spiritual sight is a supernatural work that God himself does. And thirdly, I was struck with how large God's heart is to open our eyes. His desire, his ability, his willingness, the effort that he puts forward. So as we pray, Lord, open my eyes, I'm amazed at how God's, the disposition of his heart is in fact to do that very thing. Give us eyes to see. Let's read a section. 2 Kings chapter 6 beginning in verse 8. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants saying, at such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who is for us and who is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha. Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. And it was told him, Behold, he's in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? 
He said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elijah said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. That's Israel, by the way. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. Father in heaven, take this text, and as I ask you to do this week by week, sow it into our lives to bear fruit in your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, open my eyes. Point one, to see the Lord's help. Open my eyes, Lord. Let it be your prayer. Open my eyes to see the Lord's help. Let's lay out the story. You understand it. It's not complicated. But the characters we have here, we have the people of God, which are Israel, being led by the prophet of God, which is Elisha, along with his servant, whose name we do not have. And we have the enemies of God, which is the Syrian king and the Syrian army. Now, in order to find yourself in the story, because we always do this, maybe you've heard me say this, we read stories in the Bible like we look at group photos. Like if you pull out your high school yearbook, you look to your group photo there, and the first thing that comes in your mind is, where am I? How do I look? And when we read Bible stories, we do the same thing. Where am I and how do I look? Where am I in the story? I just need to inform you, you get two choices for where you are in the story here, okay? If you're a Christian, you can be Elisha's servant in the people of Israel, okay? You, you can't be Elisha, okay? Sorry, if you already went there, you don't get to be Elisha. He's the Christ figure in this story, so you can't be him. You have to be somebody else. You can be in the people of God, or you can be in the enemies of God. Those are your two options where you can place yourself inside this story. And the situation is like this. The king of Syria is attacking Israel. 
many times over, raids against them, trying to find a way in, but they can never seem to have a successful attack. Somehow, Israel is always forewarned. And so the king of Syria gathers his generals and his confidants, and he says, buddies, we've got a mole. Somebody's leaking information. There is no way this king could know what's going on, but somehow he always knows when we're going to attack. Which one of you is it? Who's the mole? Where's the leak? What's going on here? And they inform him. His innocent team informs him, King, it's not us. We're all here. We're all for you. None of us here are against you. But here's the problem, Elisha. There's this prophet, Elisha. And I don't understand how it is, but this Elisha, somehow he knows everything. And they use this phrase, King, you, you can't say anything in secret in your bedroom without Elisha hearing it and knowing it. Well, this creates the plan. The king says, where is he? Find out. And we've got this vast army gathered together that goes to Dothan where Elisha is at and surrounds the city. Oh, an entire army for one man. That's, he's the problem. And we're going to attack and we're going to capture this one man. The servant gets up the next morning, walks out on his front porch, looks out, and sees the Syrian army surrounding the city. It's overwhelming. The, the danger is overwhelming. And he panics. He's worried. His life is on the line. And he cries out to his master, Elijah, Elijah what shall we do? What shall we do? Do you see what's going on here? The entire army here against us. In that moment, there is a contrast between the soul of Elijah who sees and the soul of the servant who doesn't. Elijah is calm. Elijah is assured. He is brave. He is unmoved by the trouble. He is not worried about what's going to happen next. He's confident he's at peace. Because he could see, as he said, those who are with us are more than those who are against us. Elijah had spiritual sight. He could see something. And what he saw determined the state of his soul. The servant, on the other hand, is anxious, fearful, worried about what's going to happen next, panicked, unsure, not a clue about even how to respond or what to do because he saw the trouble but was blind to the help God was providing. Spiritual sight. Spiritual blindness determine the state of your soul, what you see. One commentator, Ralph Davies, wrote it this way. He says, you know, it's one thing to hear, don't be afraid. For those of us uh, who are with us are more than those who are with them. It's another thing to be strongly, consciously, and vividly impressed by that reality. How many times have you pulled out a promise of God and you tried to quote it, you tried to recite it, it was like barely have an effect on your soul, like you're trying to convince yourself. You're trying to talk yourself into something. 
And yet, the reality is, what you see is the trouble. The trouble is large. The trouble is real. What you can't see is what God is doing, what God is providing, what God is up to in the midst of that. The contrast that Elijah lays out is the contrast between those that are for us and those that are against us. That's why you shouldn't be afraid. So it's not that Elijah is saying that the trouble is not real. He's very aware of the army that's there. The trouble is real. It's tangible. It is an actual threat. But the spiritual sight that's being given here is about another reality. And please know, this is not Elijah saying, listen, my servant, my young servant, man, just visualize. Just visualize a larger army. Just visualize that you're stronger. Let's visualize that you're a superhero. Let's visualize that he's not laying out some scenario just to calm his anxious heart. Just imagine something better than this. Now, Elijah said, Lord, open his eyes to see. God was actually doing something. God was actually present there to help. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. We know the phrase from the scripture, well, if the Lord is for us, who can be against us? You understand that that phrase is not saying, well, then nobody is against us. The point is, whoever is against us is meaningless, is nothing, because that whoever is against us is so much less, so much deficient, so much beneath the one who's for us. And so the first spiritual sight that Elijah prays goes to the Lord. Lord, would you open his eyes so he can see? Notice Elijah's response. Not to chide the servant for his lack of faith, but rather to seek God for the sight, the spiritual sight, to see what the Lord is providing and what the Lord is doing. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, behold, the mountain was covered. Spiritual war beings, chariots of fire, covering the mountains around the Syrian army. Can you only imagine the contrast? Can you imagine the sense of comfort and assurance to see a great army being far surpassed by an even greater army? That's what the Lord opened his eyes to see. Friends, I know we can't always see what God is doing. And I know that there's many times, and many of you in the room right now, you, you're like, you're facing things 
and it's like a Syrian army. I mean, it's big, it's real, it's a problem, it's right there, it's tangible, it's threatening you, it's taking you down. There is something there, and you see the threat, you see the problem, it's as real as real can be. And the message is to pray, Lord, open my eyes. Open my eyes to see what I don't see. I see the problem. I see the obstacle. I see the trouble. I don't see what you're doing. Do you know, do you realize how much God is at work? Person in your life that is fallen away from the Lord or lost and doesn't know the Lord and you've been praying for them and wanting to reach out to them and it doesn't seem to be going well, it doesn't seem to be going well, and you say, oh Lord, it's, it's not working. They're getting like more lost. Pray this, Lord, open my eyes. You don't know who the Lord has stationed in their path. You can't see all what God has laid out and what he's planned and what he's doing and how he's working. But can you imagine if you did? Can you imagine if you could see the end of the story? Could you imagine if you were given insight, spiritual sight to all what God is doing and what he will do? Can you imagine the sense of peace, assurance, of courage? of strength that would fill your soul. The story continues. Second point, Lord, open my eyes to see the danger we're in. So first, Lord, open my eyes to see the provision, the help that God is providing. What we can't always see, Lord, give us eyesight to see it. Secondly, the danger we're in. So the story continues. The Syrian army actually attacks. Okay, so the story kind of shifts. You think, wow, with a whole army of chariots of fire and all these spiritual beings around, you'd think they would just slay the army. And, and to the onlookers, you'd just see the Syrian army just falling dead and not even seeing who's doing it. But they're just like, I mean, they're being decimated. But it doesn't go like that. The army attacks. They move into the city. They begin to surround. They're getting close closer to Elijah. The attack is on. And here Elijah prays again. Please, Lord, strike this people with blindness. Struck with a sudden blindness that caused them to be completely disoriented. That scenario, that situation is very similar. If you're familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, when the Angels came to check out what was going on, and they were inside Lot's house, and the men of the city came banging on the door to assault the angels that had been visiting to check it out. And what the Lord did was struck the men of the city with blindness. It's another story. A man named Saul was on the road to Damascus, persecuting the church with official letters to go arrest more Christians. He's walking on the road to Damascus, and God comes and strikes him with blindness, a blinding light that is so bright it takes away his sight he cannot see. There are times when the Lord 
strikes people blind in order to show them their blindness. There are times he takes away the physical sight in the scenarios that I just laid out in the scriptures in order to show them their spiritual blindness. You are spiritual blind, spiritually blind, but you don't know it. I'm going to take away your sight to help you be aware of the state of your soul. And so it was with the army of Syria. Look, these guys in the Syrian army, they're just guys. They grew up in Syria. I'll join the army. I'll serve my country. I'll be loyal to my king. They're just they're good-natured, normal guys. Growing up, doing their duty. Following a career path. Doing what was expected of them. Doing what they thought was right. And all of a sudden, they find themselves in this peculiar situation. And they're struck blind. Now, Elisha, at this point, I mean, this is really, I mean, this is as good as any Shakespeare comedy uh, that, that you could find, how this is, story is sort of playing out. So they're about to pounce on Elijah. Lord, strike them blind. They can't see a thing. They're disoriented. They're confused. And Elijah says, guys, you're in the wrong place, but I know exactly where you need to go. Follow me. Now, you have to imagine Dothan to Samaria, 10 or 12 miles, which I'm guessing is, what, what would that be, about a three-hour hike? Three-plus-hour hike to go 10 or 12 miles. So here we got Elijah and his servant on this 10 to 12-mile hike with the Syrian army following behind them. Guys, this way, this way, here we go, and leads them right into the city of Samaria. Samaria is Israel. This is the enemy. That's who they're at war at. And he says, now, Lord, open their eyes. Can you imagine? You're blind. You're led. You're told where to go. Lord opens your eyes. And there you are in enemy territory. Defenseless, sitting ducks, Israel's army all around. And a king in a bit of, I don't know how to read it, giddy, childish fit. Shall I strike him dead? Oh, man of God, shall I strike him dead? Can we kill him now? You got him here. It was all set up so well. They were stunned. When their eyes were opened, through it all, they realized, we have been enemies of God. We're just in the Syrian army. We thought we were doing the right thing. We're good citizens. We're doing our jobs. But as the story plays out, they realize, oh, now it dawns on them. We have been opposing God and God's people. Because God struck them blind, he was able to show them their blindness. And then he opens their eyes, and they're standing, facing their enemy, realizing 
There's no hope for us. It's over. It's done. We're as good as dead. We were on the wrong side. We were playing on the wrong team. We were opposing the wrong people. It is a gift of God to show us our need. It is a gift of God to show us our sin. It is the grace of God that shows us that we were once enemies of God. This is a kindness of the Lord to show us, not to leave us in our blindness. It was a kindness of God to strike Saul blind on the road to Damascus so that Saul could realize, I've been blind. When I could see, I was blind. Now I'm blind. And now I can begin to see because I realize I've been opposing him. Isn't that exactly what Jesus said to him when he struck him blind? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And what did he say? Well, who are you? I had no idea I was opposing you. Who are you? Why do you think I'm opposing you? I'm arresting Christians. I'm not opposing you. And yet his eyes were open then to see and to realize. And Jesus tells him, it's me you've been persecuting. It's me you've been living against. It's me that you're fighting against. And through the blindness, he opens their eyes. Third point. Open my eyes, Lord, to see your heart, to reveal yourself. The Syrian army is given their sight back, and they're standing surrounded by their enemy, and it's over. They should die, and they realize they should die. They realize they deserve to die. That's probably what's going to happen. We are not going to walk out of here alive. It's over. Well, what an opportunity. Can you imagine being handed your enemy so easily? They're right there. And the king cries out, shall I kill them? And Elijah says, no, don't kill them. Feed them. Everything pointed to one conclusion. Destroy them, kill them, wipe them out. See, every one of us were at one point classified as enemies of God. And you say, no, wait a minute. I'm not so sure I was an enemy of God. I was kind of a nice person. And say, I don't think you realize the actual blindness of living life for yourself in God's creation. When God creates us, forms us, and sets us in his creation, there is a way that he's called us to live, a life that is in communion and fellowship with him. And yet all of us come into the world crying for our first meal, crying every time we want something, and we grow up with this normal idea that I'm just living for myself. And God says, that's not what I've called you to. I've called you to live with me. I've called you to live for me. And at some point, by God's grace, our eyes get opened to this reality. And we say, oh my Lord, 
I have been living up to this moment against you, against what you've designed, against what your will is. And now you're showing me a reality about who I am. In those moments, and this is a common realization of everyone who come, becomes a Christian, I should be dead. God would have every right to just finish my life here when I am truly aware of how blind I was, when I'm truly aware of how much I've been living opposed to God and for myself. And when the, your eyes are open to this reality and you see it and you realize now all of a sudden to say that I deserve God's wrath and God's punishment, it's not such a strange idea anymore. In fact, it starts to sound a little bit more like a just idea because our eyes are opened to see our sinful hearts contrasted with the holiness of God and you realize this is not good. This is not looking good for me. And with the king shouting, shall I strike them down? And God's man, the right man, in the story Elisha, in our lives, the right man, Christ, says, no, no, no. Don't strike them down. Feed them. Feed them. They lay out a banquet. They set up tables. They set them all down. They're enemies. And they're set at the table. And they begin to get fed. And a feast is provided for the enemies of God's people. I'm amazed at the mercy of God. I'm amazed at how large his heart is for us all. Romans 5, 6 for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Chapter 5, verse 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Colossians chapter 1, it says, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is not reconciled has he not reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him? Do you see how large God's heart is? He had them. They were guilty. He could have finished them off, and he didn't. There was a moment in my life. I was about nine years old. And I heard the gospel, and the Lord opened my eyes, and I saw a reality about God, about myself, and I said, I'm in a bad place. I need grace. And the gospel message was right there to invite me. And then what does the Lord do with me? He sets me at his table. We celebrate the table the first Sunday of every month. You know that's exactly what this represents. Oh, the man of God stepped in and said, don't kill them, feed them. 
Give them a feast. Give them a banquet. Worship team can come on up. The entire Bible is designed to teach us about God, about ourselves, and how to live well in God's creation. This requires constant, ongoing, interactive dependence upon the Spirit of God. It should be a lifestyle for us to say, Lord, open my eyes. I've been praying that a lot this weekend, this past week. I was sharing with you, we went to this marriage retreat because I knew I needed a marriage retreat. And so I'm praying, Lord, open my eyes. I know there's things going on in my life that I don't see. I don't see them the way they need to be seen. I kind of know that they're there, but I don't have eyes to see them yet. And so I go to the Lord and say, Lord, open my eyes. Now on the same day, as I got up early in the morning, opened my Bible, went to my Bible reading app, and turned to 2 Kings chapter 6. I've got four chapters that I read on my reading plan. And so the psalm for that day, same day, was in Psalm 119. And that particular day included verse 18 that says this, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I heard, I was in a class that Mike Bullmore was teaching many, many years ago, and he emphasized that verse as he was talking about just the spiritual life of the pastor. And from that moment, it's been just a regular routine for me that when I take my daily time and open my Bible and I read, I start with that prayer. I'm going to open up the pages of Scripture and I'm going to read something, but I realize I need help with what needs to happen here. And so I pray this prayer, Lord, Open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from your law, from your words, from your book. We need eyes to see things that we can't see. You need eyes to see what God is doing, things that you are unaware of and can't see. One of the primary means that God provides to give us spiritual sight is the very word of God that he's provided, the very book that I was referring to from the very beginning, that he wrote these things down for us. And that becomes one of the primary means where God uses in order to open our eyes. And so every time we read 2 Kings chapter 6 or 1 Kings chapter 12 or any passage, any time you, you open up your Bible, there is this need and it should be the prayer, the cry of your heart to say, okay, Lord, we're going to read some scripture here. Would you open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things out of this? Because in and through this wonderful, spirit-empowered, written word of God, God desires to reveal himself. This is amazing to me. We have the book because God has a heart to show us who he is. Even with the book, are you somewhat amazed at how many bizarre ideas people have about who God is? 
What a, a long list of cockamamie, stupid, bizarre ideas about who God is. And so he gives us his word so we can go and say, God, honestly, who are you? God, be honest with me. Who am I? And God, show me truthfully. What, what does it really mean for me to live my life in this creation that you've set me in? How do I live this few moments of my life right with you, right before you? How am I going to answer these questions? By going to him and saying, Lord, open my eyes. Let's stand together. Lord, open our eyes. It's a work that you do. It's a work that we need. It's a work that you are glad to do and generous to do. And I pray that that phrase, that prayer, that desire would be just embedded into the heart of every one of us in the room. And could I pray for the one that's here that is overwhelmed by the trouble that they do see. And they're overwhelmed by the trouble they do see because they're unaware of the help they don't see. And could we pray together, Lord, open their eyes. Help them to see that the one who is for them is far greater than any that might be against them. And give them hope and give them courage and give them strength. And Lord, for those times when we drift from you and our hearts grow cold and we, we wander, whether it's in a marriage relationship when we drift apart and we wander away from each other and we lose sight of your high calling in a marriage or whatever aspect of life, oh Lord, we are easily caught in sin. We're easily distracted. Our hearts quickly can grow cold. For us all together, we pray, Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes to see the danger that we're in. Sin never stops and sits static. We never have it under control. If it's there, it's either going to be mortified by us, by your grace, or it's going to deepen and spread and destroy and distort until eventually we'll take our very lives. So open our eyes to see. And above all, open our eyes to see just how generous you are, how much you desire to show us who you are. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name.